Keeping Track. Today, we're talking to Liberty AC, the oldest all-women's track club in the country, celebrating its 75th anniversary this year. I speak to President of the Board, Vicki Bach, and official-unofficial team historian, Alda Cossey, both of whom are also competitive members of the Masters running scene today. Liberty has really run the gauntlet of sea changes in society via the vehicle of women's sport. It began as a New England sports club for young boys, and soon also became an opportunity for girls in sport when there were none, as schools didn't offer this in the 50s to girls. During the 60s and 70s, they had a complete women's track team, track and field team, uh, competing for them, and some of these women went on to become Olympians and national team members and national champions, like sprinters Betty Salmon and Kathy Lawson, to name a few. On the distant side of things, women like Darlene Beckford, Lynn Jennings, and Joan Samuelson came through the program, and eventually sports professional contracts came into the picture to offer more support. Now, we didn't talk much about this, as I wasn't sure who in particular was, uh, who else was traumatized or affected by the events. But as you've seen in the news recently, one of the eras of coaching in this club was that of John Babington, who recently became, was named as a serial abuser of his young athletes, which is extremely upsetting and sadly, a not unheard of piece of the women's sports landscape that athletes and supporters today are pushing for, pushing for prevention and better protection against this. Their website states, Liberty is a community of women committed to inclusive athleticism, compassion, and fairness. We're deeply disturbed to learn of the behavior that led to safe sports investigation and findings of sexual misconduct by John Babington. We acknowledge the extraordinary strength it takes to share the pain associated with sexual misconduct, including assault. Liberty's current board and membership want Lynn Jennings, Darlene Beckford Pearson, and others who suffered similar abuse to know that we stand with them and will do whatever we can to support their healing and justice. Today, Liberty is mostly adult women actively engaged in career and community in addition to being dedicated runners. The club is a hub for Masters women athletes, some of which only tried competitive running once reaching this age. The fulfillment, community, and healthy habits cultivated in the group are a benefit to women of all abilities and show you don't become invisible or have to give up parts of your life when you hit a certain age. For anyone wanting more info or resources on Masters uh, High Performance, there's actually a book. Um, there's a book coming out on the history of Liberty AC, as you'll hear, which we'll keep you tuned into. And there's a book by former Liberty AC coach and friend of mine, Kathy Utz-Schneider, called High Performance in Midlife and Beyond, which we've talked about before, and we'll link again here. It's sort of like the master's parallel to how she did it, because it profiles a lot of these women about their training, their approach to performance, um, their history in the sport, and how, you know, they started as a recreational runner and became a competitive runner, and sort of the empowerment involved in that. And also talking about that theme of feeling invisible, and how this helps them assert themselves on the track, and say, you know, we're still here, we're still thriving, we still deserve to do these fulfilling things at any age. Um, and a link to uh, Liberty AC uh, website and their social channels is also up on our blog, www.keeping-track.com. Thanks for keeping track. Hey everyone, welcome back to Keeping Track. We are on the third installment of our women's running series for the month of March. Um, today we have two women from the historic Liberty Athletic Club in Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, Vicki Bach, who is the current 
president of the board and Alda Kossi, a longtime member since the 1970s, and we would say an unofficial historian. Yep. <laughs> um, so we can't wait to hear from these two ladies. Welcome to Keeping Track. Thank you. Great. Happy to be here. Yes. Um, so I met a member of Liberty AC when I was at a group run in Boston and um, really wanted to talk to you ladies about your role as, you know, part of the pioneering process of women in sport. Um, I guess I could start with Alda. Like, can you tell a little bit, tell me a little bit about the origins of the club? Like, um, what was the demand for it? Were some women saying, hey, I'd love a space to meet and train or like what, like in those early days, what was sort of the mission or what, what were you guys aiming for? You ladies aiming for, I'll say. <laughs> oh, well, we're our 75th anniversary this year. So it was started in 1948 by uh, Bud McManus, who was from Lexington, Massachusetts. He was a delivery man. They call him milkman or delivery man. And um, I started uh, looking back at some of the history. He was the, uh, he started the, he founded it. He was the president. He was the coach. For 22 years, we have no pictures of him. We have no records, just very minimal, which kind of, uh, it, it's kind of sad because a lot of the history of why the women joined and how right after World War II, what was going on during that time? Why a, a, a track club? It started as sort of a sports club with basketball and other things and then evolved into track and a women's track. And I looked back as to the names. There was a, a whole a spreadsheet, about 20 pages of an Excel spreadsheet with individual accomplishments. And you go back to 1960, the first Olympian from Liberty. And I didn't even know her name, Ainsworth, Jeannie. And she was actually a speed skater. Huh. And wow. I, what are the stories? What are the histories? The all Everything that happened there, the, the highs, the lows, the good meets, the bad meets, the, the, the camaraderie, the uh, relationships that happened, all of that's lost. It's just gone. Um, which got me looking at old pictures from the 60s and early 70s um, that Jeff Johnson, who was the second coach after Bud McManus, had uh, I had a, a, a binder full of photos um, of women, strong women running uh, in on um, cinder tracks and going to meets. And it was like all these people who was the second Olympian. Francie Craker Johnson in the 68 Mexico Olympics and in 72 in, in uh, Montreal. And on all of that history, I said, there's nothing written. There's women are really bad at documenting their own history. Mm -hmm. There's just not there. I mean, now that there's the, the um, internet and social media, there's a lot more after 1984. But before that, all of that history is lost. So it got me, actually, I started um, researching it and I wanted to know more about the women, the pictures that I saw, these women, why were they running? What, what was going on? Which got me talking to Jeff Johnson. And as he said, you know, he has 40 years of history. He's, he's 81 years old and has 40 years of stories and, and things to tell. It was really amazing. So from there, it just it's just looking at the back from the history, it's just the evolution of women's running during that time. 
um, and, and how it evolved from being just for kids and then high school and collegiate. And then after the shoe companies came in, we just sort of evolved into a master's. But it's always been about community. It's always been about women coming together and in different eras for different purposes, but always the same. It's about it's about coming together as a community and support. And so were you saying in those original days, it was a men's and women's sports club or like a general sports club? It started originally, club? they had boys and they had basketball the oh, first okay. first couple of years. And then it became all, an all women's club. And, and, and that's a history I would have liked to have known, but McManus passed away in 79 and all of that history. How did it evolve? Why did it start? Why did he start a club in 1948? And, and how did it become all women hmm. and, and why track? Track was really, and track was really exciting during that time. You could fill the Boston Garden for a track meet. People would really come out, men and women's. It was uh, sort of an exciting time. So Much different. Yeah, a little different than now. It seems like oh, yeah. the fandom isn't quite the same as it was before for track and field. I think if we got um, betting into it, mm. then you'd get <laughs> more. Let's do so it. You can open up <laughs> pickleball on TV. You can have <laughs> one hole on TV. <laughs> No, and just uh, Alda has been uh, writing up some of these stories, uh, especially during COVID. She started to uh, have these conversations with Jeff Johnson, who was always an, uh, also an incredible photographer. Um, so pairing some of his really wonderful photos of these women, particularly in the in the seventies, um, he was the coach from sixty nine to seventy two with Liberty. Um, and she got him to sort of spin these tales and then she would send emails to all of us members of Liberty Today, just unbelievable stories. And so, um, as Alda mentioned, this is our 75th anniversary. So we're actually going to compile some of those into um, a, a little probably self-published book with some of these profiles and photos and sort of right up to current times and, and you know, some pictures and stories also of who are we today. So it's uh, it's really been just this tracking our history has been an interesting process. Yeah, I was um, going to ask, is this going to become a book? I hope this becomes a book. And um, let us know about the progress. Let us know when it's available or close to being um, published, because I would love to read that and tell our listeners to check it out as well. Absolutely. We will. Yeah. <clears throat> so, uh, Vicki, you are the current uh, president of the board. What is the sort of mission of the group today? I'm sure it's evolved with the years. Um, what Can you tell us a little bit about current Liberty AC and how, how it yeah. functions and what their goals are? Yeah, well, so we you know, certainly are a, a women's club. Um, and, you know, we try to be open to really any woman who uh, who runs and who, you know, I always think of it as women who want to sort of just kick it up a notch, take it to the next level, whatever that means. And for some women, that might mean, you know, doing their first 5K. And for other women, it means, you know, going to nationals and, you know, and placing and setting a record. And we really do span from the um, just purely recreational runner to the very serious racer. So we're pretty small. We're about 60 members. Um, we have a, a paid coach, which I think is pretty unusual in the running club world. Uh, John Barber, who's a, just a wonderful guy, wonderful coach. Um, and so we do weekly track workouts. Uh, we're at Boston University indoors right now. And then we uh, outdoors, we go to Harvard University's outdoor track. So that's our sort of main way of getting together is Tuesday night track practices. We do about three miles of intervals together. And again, it's some people are going pretty slowly around that track and other people are, you know, totally kicking it. Um, 
some of us race a lot. We do a lot of the USA track and field races, particularly with the team component. We're very community oriented. Uh, a lot of people, we say, sort of join us for the running and they stay for the community. Um, and I would say we do have runners that span all the way from their 20s to their 80s, but kind of our, our the majority are in their 40s, 50s, and 60s. Um, I think our biggest age group is 60s. So a lot of times, you know, people maybe had kids uh, and once the kids were out from underfoot, they started, you know, paying a little more attention to their own fitness. And so we get a lot of people in that category who are kind of just taking their own athleticism more seriously as an older woman. Um, and I joined because of um, Jan Holmquist, who's about 20 years older than me and a fantastic runner. I kept meeting her at races and I thought, wow, this woman is, you know, she, she would beat me on a regular basis. And I thought, how? How does she do that? And I love that she could, you know, she was in her late 60s. I was in my early 50s. And it was just really cool to see older women working hard and achieving results. Um, so, yeah, it's it's I think a lot of people are inspired by the history. They're inspired by the women of different ages that they see running. Um, and it's it's just a really interesting group of women. And when I joined, I had no idea that it would become as big a part of my life as it has. It's just a very satisfying thing to be doing. So. Yeah. And I think it's a great thing to bring visibility to like these masters level women, like going after their goals and um, having that, you know, usually after high school or college, you don't have that team environment anymore where you push each other, but kind of have fun in between reps and have that community like, like a symbiosis around the track. So it's cool that that's, there again, because it's a great way to socialize and stay healthy and just have those rewarding goals. And um, who says it has to stop at a certain age. So that's really fun that that's that's right. That's yeah. there. And you're showing people and, that like we've got we've got a great women's 60s team. We'd say yeah. the uh, four by eight. We have the indoor and outdoor club record and the DMR. So we'll go after the outdoor DMR. So it gives you goals. It gives it's fun to have a team to go after different events. Yeah, yeah like Alda, what's more fun than a relay? <laughs> absolutely. And Alda and I are both on that team. So we, uh, <laughs> uh, Alda has sort of found out, she researches like where are the kind of the low hanging fruit records to be set and then oh, she yeah. gets us all inspired. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> and so it was so exciting last year to set our first real record, the the, the four by eight outside club record, 60 to 60, well, yeah, 60s. Um, and then we did it again indoors just very recently. So it is, it's exciting. <laughs> Yeah. In fact, one reason when I first joined the president of the club at the time, I asked her why she joined um, Priscilla Pratt Otto. Um, and she said, you know, I, I saw women get to a certain point in their life, a certain age, and they just kind of disappeared. And she said, I didn't want that to happen to me. Mm -hmm. And I always thought that was kind of cool. So very cool. Yeah, I do feel like that happens in a lot of different areas and in sports and anything physical is one of them, but it's so good for your health and your mind and um, your whole, the rest of your life, that it's good to see a way to keep it in and keep it fun. And I grew up, uh, one of my mentors growing up, I'm from a small town and um, you, you may have raced the late Diane Shearer. I don't know if you would have remembered her name. She was a women's sports journalist, but she was always really into setting up her master's um, relay teams and going for these records too. And she would always tell me about them at the, uh, local road races when I would see her. And so I was always aware like, oh, I could do that. Like, this is what it looks like to compete well into your later years. Um, but I feel like I was lucky to have her. And she also introduced me to like women's running history. Like I knew nothing. It was before the internet when I was in high school. So 
um, I'm glad you women are doing that uh, on a bigger scale. And I think um, that's great to show people too, that, you know, you can be competitive, you can have these goals and it's, it's something we can replicate elsewhere. Um, how, how does the group run? Like, how do you, I guess, from like a business standpoint, like, are you a nonprofit? Do people pay dues? You, you mentioned there's a paid coach. So it's like a very professional, you know, advice, source of advice there. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We're sort of an unusual model because it seems to me looking around, there are a lot of clubs that, you know, have a history of organizing a race and that's a revenue stream for them. And we did used to do that a long time ago, but we we basically don't do that at this point. So we don't have um, race coordination, you know, revenues coming in. So really, you know, I'd say our, our main revenues are dues, um, you know, some donations, we are a nonprofit, um, some gear sales, although that's pretty much a wash, uh, I would say, if anything, it's a, you know, a net loser. Um, but then actually just in the last couple of years, we've started um, uh, race earnings has become a, a significant line item for us, particularly with our 60s team. Um, so we actually, you know, we compete a lot and that's starting to, you know, I mean, I, I would say our annual budget is about $10,000. I mean, we're a pretty tiny operation, um, but now we're earning, you know, between two and $3,000 a year in, in race winnings. So that's kind of cool. Prize money. I know that is cool. Yeah. Um, and those are for the teams. Individual earnings obviously go to the oh, individuals, but this okay. is for the you know team efforts. So I was wondering, yeah. So anything group wise goes right back into the team to help you guys yes. function, and that's awesome. Yeah, um, that's another source of gratification, I guess. You guys are like making it happen. Yes, <laughs> yourself. Exactly. <laughs> um, Alda, can you tell us a little bit about like your early years in the sport? Um, maybe how you found running and um, if there was some challenges as far as like finding a place for you to get have like like were you how did you find your way to the competition side of it I guess oh uh, high school I it, there was no um, track when I started high school and I was just at the cusp of Title IX junior year in high school. Um, the 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 coach was actually he was kind of ahead of his time he wanted to start a girls track team um and in junior year we i didn't have i had no clue uh we we had t-shirts i had a button down shirt that i wore <laughs> a pair of shorts and some ked sneakers i mean we didn't have anything we ran on a cinder track this was you know, I graduated, um, you know, 73. So it was about the time there was no, there was no um, scholarships in college at that time. I mean, there was a handful of, of colleges, mostly West Coast, not a lot on the East Coast. Um, and uh, I didn't know anything about track. I mean, I, I played uh, some sports, but it really wasn't, I, I like to run. I used to run just because I like to run, but I, I, it wasn't any competition. Um, and, uh, I ended up finding that I was good at it and I enjoyed it. And we had a, we had a, a really good team, um, senior year in high school. I remember, uh, I was the only girl on the cross country team for boys. There was no girls cross country team, but the coach said, why don't you run cross country and that'll, then you can run track later. So I said, Oh, well, all right. I didn't know what it was about. And um, the the one thing, the uh, we went to a track, we went to a cross country meet, and there was uh, 
St. John's run by the Jesuit brothers. And uh, I, I showed up and they, they knew I was the only girl that was going to be running on this uh, cross country. And the brother came up to me and he said, do you mind not running today? Because if you beat, if you beat the, uh, the JV, if you beat any of the junior varsity boys, they will get discouraged and won't run. <laughs> And I didn't oh, no. run because oh, no. I, I, the asked me not to run. And I'm a good Catholic girl. I mean, and the priest asked me not to run. And I remember that. And there were there were races where there would be early on a handful of women. Um, and there was no um, women's um, uh, uh, prizes or acknowledgement because there we were just the first ones there. So you'd end a race and, you know, you wouldn't get any any kind of acknowledgement for being there. Um, and when I went to college, there was no college team. UMass just started a college team, but we didn't have anything. And I actually ended up running with uh, Charlotte Lettuce, if you know Charlotte, who was a big advocate for women's running and getting women to, she was uh, pushing to have the women's marathon. And she got me to run my first 10 miler. <laughs> So we could tell Jock Semple that we were able to run 10 miles. And, mm -hmm. and then it opened up a whole different, a whole different world. I went from running sprinting on the track to like running road races. And it was a whole nother area to try. Um, and then I just started running with local clubs. And that's how I got into Liberty from, from after college because of, of running with Charlotte and, and finding out about it and just running in different clubs. And then when later on, when, um, when uh, sports, when there was more women's opportunities, um, I had gone on to graduate school and I was at uh, Georgetown University and uh, I was in medical school at the time. And the other funny thing was um, that I didn't have any, any place to run there. There was no, there was, uh, I couldn't run with the team because it didn't fit into my schedule. But I saw these guys running on the track and uh, it was an all black track club. And I ran up to the coach and I said, hey, would you mind if I just worked out with you guys? <laughs> mm -hmm. And they looked at me like I had two heads. <laughs> like, uh, first of all, I'm the only white person on the track. And second of all, I'm the only woman on the track. <laughs> And he looked at me and he said, well, I've never coached a woman. He said, oh, don't worry. I said, don't worry about it. I can just run half of whatever the guys run. And they were the, I had the best time. They were so supportive. And they was like, it was like having another, um, the brothers that I never had as a kid. Mm -hmm. They were, it was a great time. So I've always had a lot of positive reinforcement from men and women runners and uh, coaches um, and the people that were always obstructionists were the USATF officials, the people who said that we couldn't do it. And it made just it just made me want to do it all the more and stay with it. Mm -hmm. It was something that was really important to me. And no matter what, I, there were times when it was um, uh, something that I put a lot of energy in. And then other times it was sort of in the background, but it was always there. It was always something that was really important that I had a group of people that I shared it with in different ways.
Yes, I, I've heard that before about um, where the resistance comes from. Like we interviewed, I think it was Catherine Switzer, who for our, Sarah Slattery, my friend Sarah and I wrote a book um, and we about women's running and we did interview some of the pioneers from the early 70s, uh, late 60s. And Catherine Switzer said, you know, the men I ran with on the teams and the coaches were very supportive. It was always the administrative level that you were pushing through. And Jacqueline Hansen said the same thing. She was like, that's where it was coming from. The people watching us every day were like, you can do this like this. You know, how can we help? Um, mm -hmm. So that's that's very interesting, I guess. That's the hard part, fighting against red tape and bureaucracy and stereotypes and mm -hmm. all well, those going things. Going back on the history of women's running, it actually, in the 1800s and, and early 1900s, it was really popular. And Vassar started the first track teams and, and track clubs, and there were meets for collegiate meets. And then um, it came out that there was this guy who was like the head of education and health. And he said that women can't do this. It's just not physiologic. And he had a whole paper. And then all the colleges just stopped running. Wow. Um, and it all died because the, there was the administration, the men who said that this was something that, that couldn't be done that we physiologically. And the same thing happened with uh, in track with the 800 meters in 1922 when uh the women all kind of and the olympics fell all over the track after the 800 because they had tried so hard and they said see women are just too dainty and too delicate and they can't do this and it wasn't until 1972 that the 1500 was back in the olympic games for women mm -hmm. i mean it it's uh it's always been um that we had to prove ourselves that you know that it was First, we were just looking for opportunities, and then we had to prove that we could actually do it. And was always, always fighting against the establishment. But mm -hmm. that's what we're good at, I guess. <laughs> Vicki, what about you? What was your start in running like? Was it a similar story? Um, do you have any stories yeah. like that of kind of like just forging your own path and asking people to let you join practice? <laughs> yeah, I, slightly different. I mean, I, I certainly didn't run continuously like like Alda did. And I didn't think of myself as a runner when I was little. I was a swimmer, actually, um, and had a great experience swimming when I was, you know, eight, nine, 10, 11 years old. Although I, too, had a moment where uh, I had actually qualified for uh, national competition and, you know, the sort of national meet. And at the last minute, we had our plane tickets. I was going out there with my father. <clears throat> And they said that they they were cutting the 10 and under girls event because they didn't have enough funding, but they did not cut the 10 and under, 10 and under boys event. And that was when I became a feminist, I've decided. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. So, so that, that was an early uh, experience that I still remember. Um, but then I sort of drifted out of sports. I loved sports up through maybe middle school. And then I kind of fell away from it for who knows what reasons. Um, I did do one semester of track in, I think, ninth or 10th grade because we had to sign up for some sort of sport. And I did it without any real interest, although I actually had some fun with it. But there again, there wasn't a, a girls team. There were two senior boys who coached us who actually were lovely guys, but we didn't compete with any other schools. We just sort of ran around the track. Um, 
So, and I'm a little younger than Alda, but not much. I graduated high school in 1979, so still around that Title IX era. But I really didn't do much running other than just kind of for fun. I would have said I was a jogger because I would jog with my friends and we would catch up on life and, and not even on a regular basis, but just from time to time I would jog and I might enter a road race just kind of for kicks. But it really wasn't till my kids were born and I was going to the gym and that was taking too much time away from them when they were babies. So I felt that, you know, running was easier. I could just pop out the door in my sneakers, be back in half an hour. And it just fit better with being a, a mother of young kids. So I sort of got back into that as kind of a way to stay fit. And then as they got older, I was going to stop running. I thought, oh, I'm getting so old, you know, old people don't run. But I thought either I'm going to stop or I'm going to try harder. And I decided to try harder and to take it more seriously. And my husband gave me a Garmin watch and I started doing more races and kind of pushing it and really enjoying it. And, you know, I would download workout workouts and just go to meets. And um, and that's when I began to run into people like Jen Holmquist, who said, you know, you should join my running club, Liberty. And I didn't really know what these running club things were. But I finally, after running into her, you know, over a period of several years, I, I finally did think maybe I'll try this out. And that was 10 years ago. And I was, I must say, instantly hooked. But so I didn't take running seriously really till my late 40s. Mm -hmm. So Isn't that great? How, running, I was thinking of this the other day about how running is such a strong bang for your buck exercise, like time-wise. Like I yeah. look up to a lot of professional triathletes, but I was like, how do they do it with children? You're gone for hours and running. I feel like if you give me one hour, I can stay pretty fit, like one hour a day. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So running is pretty, it's, it is, um, that is the accessibility side of it is the time isn't a huge demand. Um, right. That's really interesting. Like, um, what would you ladies say? So like, I grew up at a time well enough past Title IX that like, I didn't notice opportunities missing. But when we were writing our book, we made a timeline and some things did jump out that are made me realize like this didn't happen all that long ago. And we are still kind of seeing the effects of like the lag of women being allowed into distance running. Um, for example, like the women's steeplechase wasn't added to the Olympic program until was it 04 or 08 that it was officially added? Mm. Was it exhibition in 04, maybe? Yeah. I think so. 10,000 um, meters wasn't 08. until Barcelona. Yeah. Well, and it's, I was kind of just. It was like, after the marathon. Yeah. They, like, the marathon in first in 84. It wasn't until Barcelona that they had the 10,000. Right. In my event, the 5K was 96, was the first year. <laughs> so I was wow. just, you know, I was in sixth grade when my bread and butter event came in wow. added to the program um so you do notice ways that like you know the effects trickle down still we aren't that far removed from the way things were so i think it's important to talk about it and have that perspective and i don't know what would you ladies say we need to push for more at this point in the sport like um things have come such a long way is there anything that stands out that could be the next thing that we need to push for Hmm. Yeah, there. I mean, the obstacles are are different, but um, I, you know, I would certainly say, you know, older runners. I mean, I think that's something that we are trying to model. I do think, as you look at the, you know, the the 
women over 70, 80, 90, you know, you do get quite a few men. You, you don't get many women yet. And we're hoping, I mean, you do get some, but we're, we're hoping that that is something that expands over time as, as those of us who are now in our, you know, 50s and 60s, we plan to just keep doing this until we drop, right? So we plan to, uh, to, to be out there in, in, in those older years. But so anyway, that feels to me like an area where there's still room for improvement. Um, what about you, Alda? What do you think? Um, well, I think now it's become, uh, there's two things. One is inclusion is uh, to open up running to people who have always felt sort of disenfranchised from running that haven't had the opportunities. The same as when I felt like when in the early 70s. So we're now, we've, we have a lot of um, kind of cooperation with other, other women's clubs um, the pioneers, the, um, um, trailblazers, yeah. trailblazers, yeah, that, that I think that, um, and, and there are people that are finding that, that community, how important it is and finding opportunities the same as, um, at the time when we did. So I think that, that more of that inclusiveness, the, the sport has been, um, not as inclusive over time. Um, and there's a lot when you go back in the history of track and field and um, the IOC and racism um, that I think needs to be addressed still. And there's a lot of the legacy from that. Um, and the other thing is, um, again, going back to the, the USATF and its uh, governing board and what it can do to help promote the sport in a better way. I mean, I just can't believe that there's so much talent, there's so much energy, there's so many, so many people that are involved in, in track and field in college and as a, as a basis sport. And yet it gets so little recognition, even on TV. And I mean, it, there's, it's, it's craziness. There's leagues that are for, you know, lacrosse leagues and, pickleball leagues. I mean, I, I keep going on pickleball because I think of it as like, like darts, but it's, um, and, and yet track and field gets so little recognition that I think that um, we have to look at the management of the sport too. So I think it goes in, in both directions and ageism. <laughs> yeah, that's a great answer. That's very true. Um, I don't know if you ladies read uh, Lauren Fleshman's new book. Um, she had some great interviews. And one of the things I found really interesting that she said about the sport, the women's side of the sport was that, you know, to get the foot in the door, women demanded equal treatment. And then now years later was saying, actually there's ways that equality, you know, we're different from men. And um, in sport, if it was shaped more for our life cycles and the things women endure and the things women need to be good at sport, uh, it actually would be better if we address these differences, things like uh, like abusive coaching practices or puberty or pregnancy and coming back from that or menopause and how do you train through that? And so I thought that Absolutely. was really interesting that like that is the next wave. We were here long enough to see what we needed and you know we had to get in the door first and now we're like, actually it could be better served if we do address these differences. So I thought that was, uh, it's a really great book. We promote it every other episode, basically. Yeah, no, I, I did. I did read it. It's a it's a wonderful book, and I, I'm I'm glad to see more and more such books coming out that are really very honestly telling 
women's stories in sport and, you know, being very frank about what has happened and where the gaps are. So yeah, no, that's, that's, those are all excellent points. Yeah. And, and if you go back to the Liberty history, there's a lot of track clubs that no longer exist that were around. I mean, the um, Brooklyn Adams and the Michigams. And so it's like, why did Liberty survive 75 years? Why are we still here? And there's so many other clubs um, that no longer exist that aren't around. Um, and I think that at every point where we had sort of a crisis, somebody stepped in. It was important for them that we were still here. People put a lot of energy. Um, and every time you come by through the history, somebody stepped up, somebody wanted to be there, that they that it mattered, that we had a women's club, that we were a women's group. Um, and, and I found that uh, really interesting. Mm -hmm. And we're still here. And, and it's still important um, that we're here. So, and we're 75 and we're, we're going to make a time capsule. So when the hundredth anniversary, <laughs> we're going to open it up and see what was going on now. So yeah. That's Absolutely. Awesome. No, that's a, a great point that Alda makes is that, you know, I've been looking back, we do have sort of old newsletters and documents and be between Alda and I, we have boxes and boxes of stuff having to do with Liberty's history. And there were a number of points where the whole operation could have ceased to be, you know, times where the budget was drawn down to next to nothing. A lot of people had left for one reason or another. And there was always someone who just kind of held, held it by a thread sometimes and wanted to make sure that Liberty lived on. So it's it's interesting. I mean, we I think that we are the oldest continuously operating women's running club in the country. And and Alda's quite right that there were there were plenty of other women's running clubs back in the 40s and 50s, but none of them survived. So yeah. That is really interesting. I'd love to yeah, I really would love to read a history of that whole evolution of Liberty AC and how it held on and who was involved. So yeah, I will be yeah. looking forward to the book and I appreciate that Alda, you're putting time and energy into this. I think it is important that people remember these things and hear these stories. And hopefully in 25 years, I'll be racing some of the women who open up your time capsule in my <laughs> 65 and older four by eight, so. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> You'd probably be breaking our record, yeah. <laughs> if it hasn't been broken already. <laughs> yes, that's my plan to focus on the 800 on the other side of my career on the master side instead of going some people go up into the ultras and I'm like, no, no, I'm going down. I'm going down into the 400 and the 800. That's my plan. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, thank you so much, ladies. Is there anything else you wanted to say before we uh, end our conversation? Anything you wanted to point out or promote or just um, talk about? I would just say that anyone who wants to join us, please do. Um, our website is libertyacrunning.com uh, and there are details there about how to find us. Um, but we're, you know, always welcome new members. Um, so, yeah. And we'll be having some um, Zoom meetings and things that are associated with our 75th. We're going to be trying to do um, interviews with um, former athletes and former coaches and uh, talking about their experience and what went on during time. Our first one is with Jeff Johnson and Jerry Dorso, who were the second and third coach of Liberty. And Jeff was the um, employee number one of uh, Nike and also the coach. And he was uh, the photographer for Track and Field News and had all these great women's 
pictures of women's athletes during that time and, and track runners. And he always said that track and field news could give a rat's ass about women's running during that time. So he has these great black and white photos of these really strong women. It was great. Um, and then we're hoping to uh, have some of our former Olympians that are part of, that were part of Liberty and maybe in the future. So if you check out our website, then you'll be able to see what's coming up. Yeah, those are those sound like great conversations. I hope you record them and post them for people who couldn't make it because that sounds really interesting. Um, thanks so much, Alda and Vicki. Uh, this was a great conversation and um, a really important history to talk about. And uh, I think what you're doing is also important to just show like, you know, chasing these athletic goals doesn't have to end at any point. So thanks again. Thank you, Molly. This was fun. <clears throat> Keep track, keep track, keep track, keep track, one time, yeah, yeah, keep track, keep track, one time, one, yeah, 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 keep track, you already know what track, track. Women's Running Stories, where we explore the intersection between running and life. Because every woman who is committed to a running journey has a story to tell, and this is where you'll find those stories. I am host and producer Cherie Louise Turner. I'm a 53-year-old runner, and together with original music by musician and runner Cormac O'Regan, we bring these inspirational stories to life. Please join us to fuel your adventures.